If you have your Bibles, grab those. James chapter 5 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, we'll finish out our fall series uh, in the book of James 519 uh, is where we'll be. Um, and so James is just one of those books, one of those, those letters uh, in the scriptures that is just, uh, man, so just, just good and needed. It's one of those books that if, that if we were to pick it up six months from now and read through the book of James again, uh, it, it would work us over just as much six months down the road as it has today. I believe it would work us over just as much two years from now as it has today. It's, it's just one of those books, no matter how uh, old you get, how young you are, no matter, no matter where you're at in life, what you're going through in, in life, it's just one of those books that, that, that God uses to just shape and mold all the more. I mean, the very heart behind the book of James is, is, is what James says in chapter one. Uh, he wants you to mature. He wants you uh, lacking in nothing. And so I just believe it's such a good book, good letter written, written to believers in a day that was very, very difficult. I believe it's one that we can heed so much from, that we can grow so much from. And so I just, I've prayed throughout this series that God would, would accomplish that very kind of work in us. Help us to mature and help us to grow all the more in our walk with him. And I believe he has. I believe that he is. I believe that he has been, and I believe that he will continue to do that. And what I've learned is that a lot of times maturing is, it, it takes place and it happens in the difficulties, in the struggles in life, in those areas where maybe we're, we're hit or we're beat down sometimes or things happen and, or when we're uncomfortable. It's in those areas where, where I've experienced growth in my life to be even greater. And so what we're going to see this morning is he's going to close out this letter yet with some difficult truth just coupled with a call of action from the born-again child of God. Difficult truth, coupled with some action for the church. Let, let's pray, and then we'll jump in, James 5, 19. Father, we, we love you. We need you. Uh, again, Lord, let's pray, Father, this morning that, that you would accomplish a great work in this place. And Father, not by the guy that's standing on the stage, but by the working of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of your people. And Father, by the Holy Spirit wooing and drawing maybe even the heart in this place that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. Father, I just, I just pray, God, that, that you do whatever you see fit in this place this morning. Uh, Father, we are not so timed out or we are not so structured in a way that you don't have precedence to do whatever you need to do, however you need to do it. Help us be sensitive. Help us hear from heaven. Help us act in obedience. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So James 5, starting in verse 19, two verses this morning. Um, is this. It says this, it says, my brothers, if anyone uh, among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. So I think we need to push pause for just a moment because there's this word that we need to, I, I think, kind of just tear down or, or look at, uh, uh, dissect a little bit and just, just dive deeper into what it means. Uh, because when you read this scripture here uh, and, and you see this word, the reality is this, is that every one of us in this room has wandered. Every single one of us. No one in this room is exempt from that. No one who has ever followed Christ is exempt from this reality of wandering, of this, this wandering. So this use of wander here in James 5 uh, could lead us to believe that's just an inadvertent drift. Uh, that it's just one of those moments where we've stumbled, we've fallen, and, and we've, we've gotten and we shouldn't have, and we're convicted, and we repent, and we... Uh, but that's not what this particular word in the New Testament means. Uh, that's not particularly what James is pointing to, though we've seen throughout the book of James this reality of the believer inadvertently wandering or inadvertently falling into sin, uh, but that's not what this means. Wander here in this scripture and throughout the New Testament is any deviation from the truth of faith, whether inadvertent or intentional, whether minor or major, it's to disbelieve 
and drift away. In other texts, that's what we see. That's what we pull from, this word that's used there. This thought of, I don't care what God says. I don't care what God expects. I don't care what His standard is. I'm going to do what I want, how I want, when I want, where I want. And motive doesn't matter. I'm going to fulfill what I want to fulfill. So 2 Timothy 3.12, it, it'll be on the screen for you. It, it says this, 2 Timothy 3.12, we see this, this word used here. We see this thought used here. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, Indeed, all who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And then here in verse 13, we see it. While evil people and imposters will go on. It's the word wander. The word wander that we see in the book of James. The word that we just looked at there in, in, in the book of James. It's the same word. We'll go on. We'll wander. Same word from our text. He says that they will wander or go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So, so they will continue in that way, in that lifestyle of living and of deceiving and being deceived and believing a false gospel or a false truth or living how they want to live and doing what they want to do and being how they want to be. Second uh, Peter 2.15 says it this way. It says, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. There it is again, that word wander. Same word that's used in the scripture that we're looking at this morning in James chapter 5. For they have wandered. They have gone astray, followed the way of Balaam, the son of Boer, who loved gain from wrongdoing. And so what we see from this scripture here in 2 Peter is that this wandering, this going astray, it's not inadvertent, but it's intentional. It's an intentional wandering for the love of gain. How? By doing wrong. That I'm going to gain, I'm going to achieve, I'm going to get, and I'm going to love it Why? by doing wrong. That's how I will accomplish it. That's how I will get it. That's the same word that, uh, that the, the half-brother of Jesus uses in James chapter 5. The exact same word. They delight in wrongdoing so much so that it's a glad-hearted giving over to the desires of the flesh with absolutely no regards to the things of the Lord. It doesn't matter what God's Word said. It doesn't matter what His standard is. I'm going to do what I want to do, how I want to do it. And so this type of wandering, the wandering that James is addressing, the wandering that we're talking about this morning is this, I love my sin more than I love God. I love my sin, my flesh, my desires, my longings, uh, uh, that, that brief moment of, of, of whatever over my love and desire for God. And so in the book of James and all throughout this letter, we, we, get a, we get a kind of a peek into, as I mentioned earlier. We get to kind of see this reality, this thought of, of, of wandering, both types of wandering. A, a wandering that's uh, where a genuine believer in Christ who drifts. A, a born-again somebody who drifts. Any, anybody been there? I mean, you just, yeah, I'm a follower of the Lord, I believe, I'm born again, and, and I've just, I've, I've drifted. But let's, let's do this. Let's, let's play for a moment this morning, can we? Let, let's just be real and honest for a second. In, anybody in the room this morning been following Jesus for 10 years plus? Okay. No, no, no keep them up, huh? We, we're going we're to we're participate this morning. We're going to do this. You'll get a t-shirt at the end of the ride, I promise. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Okay, so, so you've followed Jesus for 10 plus years. How many of you followers of Jesus continue to drift from time to time? Look around. This, this is good for the soul. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, how many drift constantly? Yeah. Okay. 
I was really nervous how this would play out. <laughs> if I'm the dude on the stage holding my like, Lord, what kind of pastor do they have? Yeah, that kind. That kind. One just like everybody in the audience that lied in that moment, that didn't lie. Thank you, you passed. Good, absolutely. Uh, yeah, there's, is there not? I mean, is that not the Christian life? There, there's moments where we're, where we're following and we're pursuing like we need to be, and then, ah, it could be something that just kind of derails. We're following, we're consistent, we're pursuing, ah, something that just derails. Something that sneaks in or something that gets us, or that, that little thing that plagues us that we haven't fully put to death yet, that we, we are battling and that we are fighting against. It happens from time to time, and sometimes it seems that there are seasons of just constant all-out war. And see, we need to remember that as followers, as born-again people, children of God. I mean, we are engaged in war. Whether you like that or not, as a follower of Jesus, as a born-again man or woman of God, there is a war against good and evil. And Satan can't stand. It says what? He comes to uh, steal, kill, and destroy. And so he's coming. He, he's after us. And so there's those seasons. There's those seasons of where I just look at my life and I'm like, dang, saved at 11, I'm 38. I would, I would have thought that I'd have been so much further along. I would have thought that I would have been so much further down the road. That I would have had some things like nailed and, and panned out and I would have... But that's not always the case, is it? That's not always the case. I mean, one of the most historic hymns, and we, we just sang this line in this song, this hymn just a second ago, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, right? Prone to leave the God I love. And, and then the plea and the cry is, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for that courts above. I mean, I mean, he felt that. He felt that in his soul. He felt that in, in him. Man, man, I love him, but there's these times where this flesh and this battle will just whip me sometimes. And so there's this inadvertent, inadvertent strain. But then there's also this time where it's not inadvertent. It's intentional. And so we as born-again believers know that of the inadvertencies. But we also know that there's those times where, where we, there's wondering and that wondering very possibly could be that that person is not a true born-again believer. That they're not a born-again believer. And they may even look like church folk, talk like church folk, but at the end of the day, they, they have no love for the Lord and, uh, and they don't believe in Christ outside of the reality that he's a historic figure. I mean, they may even know some of the verses, they may even know some dates, they may even know some stuff and have the t-shirts, but at the end of the day, Jesus is not someone that they have made Lord and Savior of their life but rather something just to tack on and to make them feel better or to hopefully get them what they need in the moment of. But no true love, devotion, desire, longing, yearning for the Lord and acts of obedience. And so what just keeps me up at night, what causes me just to feel, feel this angst in my soul, especially for the church in the South, is this bless your heart, easy believism that's been created. This bless your heart, easy believism. Just live however you want to live, do whatever you want to do through the week, and then for two hours, two hours uh, on a Sunday morning, you show up and you sing the songs and you, you, you open up the scripture and you look at it and then you go, uh, amen, close your Bible, leave, and you never think about the Lord ever again until the next Sunday or until something bad happens or until there's something uncomfortable that comes up in your life. Man, this easy believism. So, so you need to hear me, and I just lovingly want to challenge you this morning that, that coming to church on a Sunday does not make you a Christian. Well, like, you get that, right? Coming to church on a Sunday doesn't make you a Christian. Have a par having parents who are believers. 
doesn't make you a Christian. Having a grandmother who prayed for you doesn't make you a Christian. Being dunked as a kid does not make you a a believer. Having a a conservative moral standard does not make you a a born-again believer. None of that is a means of salvation. Salvation is only had through, through Jesus Christ and the redemptive work on the cross. And seeing ourselves as sinful and in great need of a Savior and turning to in faith and believing, walking in all that He is, casting everything I have on, upon Him, that's where salvation is found. And in that alone, not in acts and works, though our acts and works should point to and show to whom we belong. And so just as we've read through the book of James, as I've just studied and looked over this, these last 13 weeks, my, my fear throughout this book is that there will be those who believe that they're Christians, but they're not. And, and I believe that's what we see with James. That's what we see with James. Just the different verbiage and words that he uses to describe things and to, to say things. It, it, it's, it's almost as if James is, is, is feeling it or he's seeing something. It's like, man, they, they, they say one thing, but they live contrary to what they say. They say this, but, but their actions and their heart and their, uh, their pouring out of what that looks like in life just does not match up at all. Doesn't match up at all. And so we just, we just see that throughout the book of James. As he preaches, as, as he tells, as he's written this letter. And I believe that the reason that this is that he's so serious is because even in this day, as he writes this letter, he can probably see some who claim to be something that they're not claim to be something that they're not. And so James is going to call the true believers to be active and engaged. When we see that, when we, we are aware of that, to be active and engaged in that, and that engagement has this potential for a mighty move of God, uh, for the soul to be rescued. Look at what he says in verse 20. He says, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And so as I've said already from the very get-go of this service, man, we live in a day where we celebrate in glory and others' failures. And the church is no different. I'm not, I'm not calling out culture. I'm calling out the church. I mean, we are just as guilty to glory. And what did you know what they did? Yeah, I figured. I just knew it was in him. She, oh yeah, she, oh yeah. Jezebel. We keep it spiritual. Jezebel. I mean, we are so quick to tear down and demean, are we not? And not build up and lift up and approach and care for and love, love each other enough to go after and what James says is that he sees some things and he calls the church to action he calls the church to action one of the things that just breaks my heart about the church is is that we're so quick on and we've actually beat our current culture which that doesn't usually happen uh, with with the church the church is usually uh, a couple decades behind the culture but it's the response to this cancel culture I mean yeah, yeah we'll cancel something in a moment we'll throw out in a second We'll get rid of and be done with and never again. And I'm, hear me, I'm not saying that we shouldn't avoid and we shouldn't have nothing to do with certain things, but man, we are so quick to just throw out and get rid of, are we not? We're so quick to just write off and be done with. We're, we're so fast to cast judgment on and, and, and just cancel instead of moving toward in love. Instead of moving toward in love. One of my favorite scriptures, one of my favorite stories in, in all of the scriptures is the woman caught in the act of adultery. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't get more guilty than, than this girl. You know what I'm saying? Like, like she's caught, caught in the act of adultery. And what do they do? They drag her out to the streets and throw her at the feet of Jesus. 
And they, they shame her and they tell of all that she had just done and the act that she was caught in. And they say, we know what the law says, but what do you say? And what does Jesus do? Come on, boys, get the rocks. Let's do this. And thank God he doesn't do that. No, that's what the church does today, is it not? Oh, yeah, them, yeah. Let me get the boulder first. I mean, that's, that's the day and age we live in, is it not? And, and in the church, and hear me, I'm not saying that we don't stand against sin and that we don't stand for holiness and we don't have stand. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is maybe what we need to do is we need to go the extra mile with somebody. We need to care enough for somebody to walk with. And we'll, we'll see here in a few moments how this needs to be lived out and how this needs to be, to be walked out and fleshed out in the church in the heart of a believer. But, but what does Jesus do? He's there. There she is at his feet. And I can just imagine. I mean, she's naked in front of everybody. I mean, they're exposed, exposed. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't say a word at first, does he? He just kind of kneels down and begins to doodle in the sand for a moment. All kinds of speculation on what he does. He stands up. Long story short, looks at him and says, you without sin, cast the first stone. Uh, you, without guilt and shame in your life, be the first one to chuck the stone. And what does the scripture say? It says, from oldest to youngest, they drop and walk away. And Jesus looks at her and says, hey, where's your accusers? And he lifts up her head. And he says, neither do I. Go and send no more. And, and then he gives her like a five-point lecture, right? Because we've got to do that as the church. Lord, help us. If we don't tell them all that they've done wrong and give them the five-point steps on how to get right now. It's ridiculous, is it not? Can't we just love somebody that she caught? We don't need to berate it in front of her. We don't need to rub her nose in the carpet. No, no, Jesus doesn't do that. He just lifts her head. He says, well, where's the, all the accusers? Well, the only one who had the right to accuse and to condemn was the one holding her head. And then what does he do? Go and send no more. Man, church, could we not learn from that? What is that? That is an act of love, is it not? That is an act of love to the unlovely. I mean, listen for just a moment what love can do. 1 Peter 4, 8 says this. It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. He says to keep on loving one another earnestly. That, what's that mean? That there's effort. Well, because loving people's heart, is it not? Well, because we're all aggravating. Can we, just, can we just land at that place and realize that for a moment? Not one of us in the room is perfect. Not, not one of us in this room doesn't just aggravate or just prick somebody from a time to time or, or frustrate or rub from time to time. Well, loving is difficult. And that's why he says keep on loving one another earnestly, really honestly. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. So you want to know how to win a brother or sister back? It's to love them. How to love a brother or sister back is to love them. And hear me, love is not turning a blind eye to, but it's also not browbeating and belittling either. That's not what love is either. And hear me, it's crazy that we even have to describe or define what love is because love is not just, just letting whatever go. Yeah, I love you so much, I'm going to let you whatever. No, that's, that's not love. That's anything but love. But love is saying, hey, I'm committed to you for the long haul. Regardless of what I get out of it, regardless of the hurt that I endure, regardless of, uh, of what comes of it to me, I'm going to walk with and I'm going to care for. And sometimes it may have to be at a distance through prayer and through special gifts or through special acts. And sometimes it's going to be arm in arm, hand in hand, walking with and, and guiding and caring for. 
I think one of the, the greatest examples that I've gotten in my life of, of seeing this happen and kind of play out in, in my 15 years of, of being a South Carolinian and, and 15 years of ministry here um, is, is my wife and I have had the privilege to walk with about, about eight, eight, eight or so people who have struggled with homosexuality, who have struggled with that. And so, so, so for us, it was one of those things that, that we were upfront about what we believed. We, we said, hey, look, we, we love you and we don't care what your sin is. We just want to be committed to you and walking with you and caring for you. And, and so, but we need you to know something. This is what we believe the scriptures teach. This is what we believe, uh, what God has said about it. And we shared that. We were upfront with them about that. But that, that doesn't have to eliminate this. We don't agree with it. But we can still care for and walk with I mean, how can you love somebody unless you walk with them, right? I mean, how can you care for, how can you share, how can you show the love of Christ unless you're involved in someone's life walking with? So we did that, and, and that was it. Like, like, we didn't send him, like, cute little scriptures from the Old Testament every, every day. God hates. God, it's deplorable. You're going to frighten. No. We, we never did that. I mean, if God would stir on our hearts to be able to send something encouraging or to, when we were with them to kind of share what God was doing in our life, we didn't treat them like they were dirty or that we could catch something from them. Why? Because we were sinners too. We're saved. We're made holy and righteous because of the work of Jesus on the cross. But we're no different. Our sin, no matter how big or small, we like to categorize it, especially in the church, right? Like that kind of, oh. Well, that kind's okay. Or it's overlooked. We, we never did. We just shared and loved and walked with and we prayed for. We didn't just cancel, cancel them and say, well, they're too far gone, they'll never be. No, 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 we engaged and we stepped into and so I guess for us, how, how as believers, how as the church, how, how do we bring back a wanderer? And, and I just want to say that this is a very slow process, a very slow process. It, it, it's careful, and it's, it's got to be covered in compassion, and it's got to be covered in love, and, and it's got to land at the very place what Jesus says in the very beginning of this verse, Matthew eighteen fifteen. Maybe a scripture that you're familiar with or you've heard. Matthew eighteen fifteen says this, and we'll, we'll read through for a moment. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. We'll get to that in a second, I'm sorry. I'm like raring at this, aren't I? If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. That's the very heart behind this whole process. That's the very heart behind what Jesus is saying. That's the very heart behind what, what James is talking about. If he's listening, you've gained your brother. That's the end goal and the heart in, in going to your brothers, what, to win them back. And not to be right, not to gain power, not to have something to hold over them. It's to win them and see them restored. That's the heart. That should be our heart and our desire is to see the lost be saved or see the one wandering in sin brought back to the fold. Uh, to live out a life of repentance and restoration. That's the heart and that's the desire. Not to glory in, in their failure. Not to glory in their sin. Not to beat them up and, 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 and hold it over them or have it in your back pocket when you need to use it for a reason. No, no, no. That's not the heart behind this. And so what we see from this scripture is this, is that it, it takes place in relationships that are already present. If your brother, 
takes place in a relationship that's already present, that's already there. And I know you, I've seen you, I've walked with you. There's some sort of relationship and connection there. And, and then it happens in private. Like, we like to skip that process, don't we? Like, if we just go and let the whole world know, then they'll get their heart right, which it, it never works that way, does it? Like, the, the outcome of that is never, never good, is it? Just, just to, to, to publicly Facebook shame or, or to publicly call out in a group or to, it's, just, it, it's, it, it's in private. And it happens gently. Do you see that? It happens gently. And then it's, another one that I put down here is this, is that it's, it's face to face between you and him alone. Face to face. Man, it is easy. It is so easy to do it like this and to call out. And it's so hard to feel love that way, is it not? It is so hard. See, I think it's a good thing for them to see us struggle coming to them to do it. They know it's sincere. Man, I, uh, I just, uh, this, is, uh, this is tough. But I just, I, just, I just want to share with you for a second, can I? And for them to see that struggle and that turmoil in you. Not glory in. And so the reality is this, we, we all want accountability until we're the one in the wrong. Until this verse has to be lived out in our life. We don't like to be caught out on things. We don't like to have confrontation happen. And so, so what do we do if, if we take step one and we walk it out, but it continues to escalate? Then we go to step two in verse 16. It says, but if he does not listen, then take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And so this is not a, a build your case type thing. This is, this is there, and, and there's some things that, that we just didn't see eye to eye on, or there's some things that are there that maybe, uh, maybe isn't, isn't good, isn't right, is sinful, is wrong. And, and so we just want to get to the bottom of what's going on. And so, so we enter into with others who can establish evidence. Yeah, yeah, I know them. I've seen some of this type. Okay, yes, I see that. It's not, hey, um, that person don't like them. Can you come with me? Hey, uh, you don't really care for you, I need you in this too. That's not what it is. It's some other brothers that have walked or other sisters that have walked and that know this person and maybe have seen some of these things that you've brought to them and then you come together. Again, for what? The whole heart of it is what he said to begin with. Gaining your brother, restoration. That's the whole heart behind it. And so we enter into with others who can establish that evidence, who can help. Is there sin? Is there wandering? Or is it something else? And then once that's established as wandering, then there will be a time and an opportunity, hopefully, for repentance or for denial, for rejection, and further wandering and rebelling. And if that's the case, then we go to verse 17, and it says this, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And so even the final step is a plea for the wandering soul and the hope in winning them back and taking it before the church. And I know, like, when we read it, when we talk church discipline, oh, we, you, you can't talk about it, huh? We can't discipline. We don't have the right. We don't. We're a covenant church. You signed a covenant saying, hey, I want to be a part of this. I believe, that I want to strive to be. And we know, we know that not one of us in this room can meet those expectations. Even the guy standing on the stage. We know that. So there's going to be grace and there's going to be mercy. But, but the moment we talk about church discipline, we think, oh, dear, oh, they're that church. They'll be bringing out snakes next week. Get ready. 
Like, I'm from the holler of West Virginia. I can say that and it'd be all right. You know what I'm saying? Because I've been there. But, but, but let, let, me, let me just say it like this. Those of you with kids, those of you with kids, do you discipline your kids? Yeah. Well, why do you discipline your kids? Because you love them? I'm not talking about abuse. That's I'm talking about discipline. Good discipline. Why? Because you love and you care for them. And because you love and care for them, you, you see more out. You, can, you expect more. You know that you can get more out of them than what they're currently giving and what they're currently partaking in. And so what do you do? You step in and you discipline. Why? Because, because there's, there's a path that they're on, and if they continue on that path, it doesn't end well for them. So as a dad, I want to step in, and I want to discipline where I need to discipline. And I'm going to do it in a loving way. I'm going to do it in a gracious way. I'm going to do it in a, uh, in a slow way from time to time. But because I love and care for my boys, I'm going to step into their life, and I'm going to kind of help navigate and direct. And when they do something dumb, because all kids do dumb stuff, do they not? Every parent should have said amen there. You'll get there. Maybe your kid's not old enough yet. All kids do dumb stuff. My hope and my prayer is that I can be there to kind of help walk with and discipline and love and care through that all the way. And that's the same thing for church discipline, is it not? It's where one believer looks at someone else who confesses to be a believer and says, I love you and I care for you. And man, you're heading down a path. And if you keep going down that path, it's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. And so you step in and you try to walk with through this process till you get to the third and final phase of it there in verse 17. And it's the point of even at times where the church removes affiliation from the person as a believer. Hear me, it doesn't mean that we say you're not a believer. We, we, can't, we can't judge the heart. We don't know. We, only God can do that. We can't do that. But we can look and we can tell and see whether or not someone has fruit in their life that would point to the reality of them being a born-again believer or not. And that's what this is referring to. The final step is the church saying that we cannot affirm that they are a believer. The acts of their life, the way that they're living, the things that they are doing. They have said with their own mouth that they don't care what the Bible says. They don't care what God expects or what the church believes. Uh, they are going to do what they want to do, how they want to do it, when they want to do it. And it doesn't matter. And so the hope and the heart, again, is what? Restoration. The hope and the heart, even in this process, in the process of, a, of removal of affirmation, it's not just shame, it's not shame, but that it might jar them to show them how serious things are. And that's what we see in the book of James chapter 5. That's what we see in these last two verses in James. Is that there would be that reality, that that would take place. Because it's coupled in love. It's coupled in care for. Man, I would pray to God if there's someone in this room and you see me doing something that would lead me down a road that I shouldn't go, that you would love me enough and care for me enough to tell me. And I don't know what the, the, the normal process for you is, but I can kind of just share, especially with those that are closer to me, I can kind of share, like, like, like my process is usually whenever you come at me, I'm like, oh yeah, whatever. I'm not, uh-uh, I'm better than that, no. And then we do our thing, and then I'm kind of over here for, for a day or two, and I'm like, usually it doesn't even give me a day or two. God don't let me go that long and kind of wallow in my stuff. Like, he, like he, just, he gets on me quick. I'm like, dang it, they were right. Shucks. So what do I do? I tell God I'm sorry. And then I run back to them and I say, hey, look, thank you. Maybe I didn't act or react in the right way, but, but you're right. You're right. 
I, I did act like that, or I did think that, or I did say that, or I did kind of show myself in that moment, and I'm just, I'm sorry. I've, I've repented and asked the Lord to forgive me. I mean, maturing and growing, that's the hope. Is as far as it gets. But if it continues and it doesn't, then you bring more in to lovingly walk with and care for. Well, for the hope of what we see in James, that they'll be restored. That you'll win your brother. They'll be restored. And so as the band comes back up, I mean, it's just a word that has been on my heart all week as I've just prayed and I've prepared for this sermon. A word that God has just, just has not let leave me has been the word serious. Has been the word serious. And so imagine all that God could do in and through you or us if we live this way. And I'll just, I'll just be up front and go on record for saying, we've done a pathetic job of this here at this church. And so my heart and my hope is that we do much, much better. We've got some things coming at, at the first of the year that's going to help us with community, that's going to help us walk out better together, that's going to help us love each other more closely. In our heart, my heart, my desire is that, is that we do this better. Is that we could live in it, is that the church could be what God has set it up to be. I mean, this family that cares enough for each other to walk with each, each other earnestly like we've seen already. And love each other earnestly. Whereby we can say, hey, man, I just don't know if that was right and good and okay. I'm not trying to judge, but I'm just, man, I just, maybe the tone in that or maybe uh, the thinking behind that or maybe the, the action in that. Maybe you shouldn't have sent that email. And where we can actually do relationships so deeply so that we can actually have that avenue to speak into each other's lives. See, I think one of the issues in the church is that we've learned to love like this. And, and we like to like take scripture out of context a lot. Like we're just ignorant folk we are. But, but we like to like just cherry pick certain scriptures to make them say what we want them to say, to fit a lifestyle that, that we want to continue following in that, that's maybe anti or not gospel-centered or God-glorifying. And so, so we like to just put, you can't judge me. Only God can, you don't want God to judge you, brother or sister. That's why I'm here. Just let me tell you how that ends for you. Because the judgment you're talking about is at the end, yo, and you, like, you get thrown in the pit. That's what you get. I'm here to prevent the pit. I'm here to plead with you. Don't make it to that point. So you call it whatever you want to call it. I call this love. And I know in our culture and our world that love looks different and that the world has defined it a certain way and has, has, has counterfeited what God has meant for it to be. But I'm here to tell you that I love you and as me loving you, I'm going to tell you the truth. And I'm not just going to tell you the truth about it, but I want to walk with you through it. This mess that you've made. I mean, you, you know what I'm saying? Like kids, like I have got a six-year-old right now and this six-year-old, oh, God help me. Like he is the messiest messiest like, like, like everything I mean he's got one sock on walking around last night how do you lose a sock and not stop in that moment and find it and then I go up to the bonus area and as I'm up there in the bonus room area I'm, I'm looking I'm like oh dear lord Hurricane Bennett has been here oh man he is messy he causes me heartache because he's not like me I guess he's like this is the different one that really God, God's using to refine me and do a work in me. Like I thought I was patient and then Bennett gets old enough. I've got a long way to go. And, and 
so back to the story. So, so he's, he's just a mess. Everything's a mess. I mean, there's stuff. Like, he, he'd gotten a hold of, like, one of those, like, tart things that go in the warmer to make it smell good. And he's gotten a, a, a marker, which, thank God, he didn't open the marker. He just took the marker and made it like a smashing thing. And I don't know what he was trying to make up there, but Lord, did he not get it everywhere. Our house smells really, really good upstairs. Too good. Too much of a good thing is not a good thing. And so we call for him to help and kind of clean up. And, 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 and like his cleanup, his cleaning up is awful. Gosh. It's just like making a bigger mess only in a different place. But you know what? I love him enough and I'm committed to him enough that we're going to keep getting this thing to where I help him and walk with him. Can, can we not get to that place where we love and care for one another enough even in the middle of the mess that we're going to walk with you through it? They're going to care for you through it. And so the word serious is just something that's been on my heart. I'm just thinking about it. That takes a serious commitment, what? First and foremost to Jesus and second to each other. First and foremost, a serious commitment to Jesus and second to one another. To which I would say that we're probably not there yet with either one of them. With either one of them. And so if, if you love Jesus and each other and it's motivated in a way where we take serious what the scriptures say and we make important what matters to God can you imagine what he would do with a church and a people like that like, like if we get serious over sin even the we itty bitty ones so we think if we would get serious over sin if we would get serious over loving one another to the point of where we could have those kind of conversations with even in the fear of making someone mad or upsetting them. Man, can we just get serious about authentic relationships? Uh, I, mean, I mean, really caring for the soul. Not what I can get out of it, but, but, but for your soul, for your growth. Man, can we get serious about accountability? Can we get serious about discipline? Yeah, I'll be a part of the discipline team. Where, where do I sign up for that? No, 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 no. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about even for us when we need it. Can we get serious about that? Discipline is a good thing. Well, the Bible says that God disciplines those that he loves, right? So, so if you're not being disciplined by the Lord, then, then you might want to check yourself. If there's not conviction in your life. See, conviction is a good gift from God. That's what conviction is. But if we get serious about discipline, if we could get serious about restoration. Because see, the desire of our heart, everyone in this room who's born again believer of Jesus Christ, every one of us, the desire of our heart should be for progression into holiness for growth in Christ, for maturation in the Lord. And it happens in those times of difficulty and pressing on, whether it be by someone or be by a situation. And in those moments where we're called out lovingly, or even unlovingly, it doesn't matter. It does, but it doesn't. It should be one of those things where we press into and we examine and we ask those questions and we seek to see if it's true or not. And then we repent and run back to the, run back. And so I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what God stirred in your heart by way of the Holy Spirit through the proclamation of His Word or what God's asking you to do now. But I want to lovingly encourage you to say yes and walk toward. Say yes and walk toward. If it's for the first time in your life you've heard the gospel and it's a relationship with Christ more than just Him being a historical figure or a guy that shows up at Christmas and does some cool stuff at Easter. 
but a relationship to be had and walked into. If it's that, man, I would love to talk more. Austin, trustees, we would love to talk more with you about that. Or if it's maybe stepping up to the challenge of walking this out with somebody else or maybe even going back to someone and asking for forgiveness. I I don't know what it would look like for you, but what's God asking you to do now as a result of his word being proclaimed? So we're going to close with prayer and worship and you be obedient. This altar, if you want to come pray, if you want to go talk. Like Like I said last week, this should be one of the most chaotic times in our services for the glory of God where we are doing work, church. Like, it's not like, hey, can y'all hurry up and get this song over with so I can go eat? And I was like, oh, man, I've just heard the word of God proclaimed. And man, it has hit me in some spots. Man, there's some areas that have, of growth and some, some issues that I need to work through and walk out with the Lord or maybe with somebody else. And so, so, so man, I just want to encourage you to be obedient in this time with the Lord as we sing, maybe as you pray, as you reflect, as you, as you just do business on whatever God has asked you to do in this moment. Father, help us be obedient. Help us to hear from you and walk out what you have for us in this moment. Father, we love you. We need you. Help us be a church that lives this way. Help us love and care for in such a way. Let me pray. Amen.